outside interference here in my moment of glory and I'm living in a nightmare. Welcome to the society show where everything's made up and the points don't matter. For me to poop on! I slunk out. I slunk out. I slunk. I slunk out. Broadcasting live to tape across the nation and the world from the Lorena Bobbitt Theater in the most standoffish city in the world outside of Austria, beautiful North Seattle. It's the podcast for a world gone mad. This is The Society Show. And now, your host, the next president of the United States of America, Christian Patterson. You get fired. Hello, hello, and welcome to The Society Show. Do you believe? society's lies my name is christian this is the society show thank you for listening 2022 the year of society show one thing i want to talk about at the front of the show is i was i was in la uh not long ago if you listened to the season premiere and the episodes after it i talked about it a bit um but while I was in LA, I was walking through Hollywood, right? And I get approached by this guy. Well, I, it's more like I approached them because they had a little table on the sidewalk. And I walked up and uh, they were like, hey, do you want to be on TV? And I was like, sure. And then they were like, have you ever heard of the G4 show called Attack of the Show? And I was like, I've heard of it. I've never really watched it. I used to watch G4 back in the day. But honestly, I thought this show did not exist anymore. I have not been hearing about it. But anyway, they interviewed me and they only used a tiny clip of all of the things I said. So here it is. Sonic is beautiful. Sonic. I'm positive. Body positive. Hollywood, your beauty standards don't cut it anymore. Feels good, right? Feels really good. So, uh, the Society Show didn't exactly make it to the big time, but, uh, because, I mean, no one can tell from that clip that I am the host of the Society Show. But, uh, we're getting there. We're slowly making it to the big times. Hollywood, your beauty standards don't cut it anymore. I also just want to, you know, call out at the beginning of the episode is last episode, and I acknowledge this, that Basically, I went over the Uvalde shooting timeline, and I acknowledge that, like, a lot of this stuff is made up. Like, the police make stuff up. Don't take anything too seriously. But I I really wanted to be thorough, and because of that, I mentioned some stuff that I probably shouldn't have. For example, I mentioned how... They were prop that uh, the police claim that a teacher propped open the door and left it prop propped open, and that's how the shooter got in. For one, no, they didn't. That is now found out to be not true. And for two, I just kind of wish I didn't mention it because 
ultimately it really doesn't matter like the whole timeline is filled with police just like not doing anything potentially killing the kids themselves i guess we'll find out about that but um just standing around arresting the kids parents doing all that kind of stuff and the fact that a door was propped open is so tiny compared to all of those other things there's nothing wrong with propping open a door Even if you lived in a world with mass shootings all the time, which we do if you live in the United States, there is nothing wrong with propping open a door. And the fact that the police were pushing that to kind of deflect off of themselves is so insulting and, frankly, disgusting. 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 I can't believe on my daughter's birthday that you would drag my name through the mud like this. Before we get into a big story, um, so I'll give you a little preview of what we're going to talk about today. What? I, I want to talk a little bit about the concept of nomads. What? How this kind of phantom or, or ghost of nomadic peoples still haunt society. And how we still have like a concept of a political nomad. What? I want to get into the CIA's ties to Bitcoin, and I'm really only going to gloss over the surface of that because there are so many CIA ties to Bitcoin. What? Then I'm going to close out the show with... State of the State. A State of the State. State of the State. Which is my segment where I go a little deeper about something specific about society. I really kind of dig in. What? Um, but before I get to any of that... But first, but first, but first, but first, but first, but first. I just want to say the last few days I have been playing the game Spongebob... What is it called? Spongebob something or other? I am a man. Spongebob Squarepants Battle for Bikini Bottom Rehydrated. It's a remaster of an old game... originally came out in 2003 i played that briefly but anyway i mean i think it's a pretty good game Who you call a I, I, I take that back it's a pretty mediocre game but it, it is a platform game and i've always just loved games where you jump around and I want to use my show as an opportunity to push for. We need more games where you just jump around, and we need more of them who uh, really push the boundaries and change what a jumping game can be. A jump and run. (laughs) Um... Yeah, I'm always down to play a game like that, even mediocre ones like the Spongebob game. Honey Bun, why do you need a month to celebrate who you sleep with? Newsflash, nobody cares! You have all your rights, now shut up! You take a pride month out to run around the streets with no clothes on and hook up in public, and then you want to run around crying, oh, I'm so oppressed, no one likes me. Well, stop pushing it in everybody's face. No one cares. But the truth of the matter is, 
You want everyone to care because you need attention. It's 2022. We can barely afford gas in America. Nobody has the time to run around worrying about what you do and policing your actions. Get over your insecurities and leave everyone alone. Oh, and by the way, pride is a sin. This is a story from Fox 10 in Phoenix. It's a local news story. The headline, quote, I'm not going to help you, end quote. Man drowned in Tempe Town Lake as police watch transcripts reveal. So this is just such a level of negligence that I can't believe it. Keep in mind this drowning victim. He was black. He was homeless. He was 34 years old. And they have some direct quotes from the transcript. So basically what happened is this guy and his wife, both homeless, both sleeping in a park or something. The police were there because there was reported domestic violence at the park, um, but both of them denied that any fighting had taken place. And when the cops arrived, the guy tried to run away from them by going into the lake. And then once he got into the lake, he was unable to get out of the water. He and drowned. Um, so here are some quotes from the transcript. Officer one uh, was noted as telling the drowning victim, his last name is Bickings, that he won't be going into the lake. I'm drowning, Bickings noted as victim in the transcript said. Come back over to the pylon, an officer said. I can't, I can't, inaudible, said Bickings. Okay, I'm not jumping in after you, said officer one. In the transcript, an officer reportedly threatened to detain his wife, telling her, quote, if you don't calm down, I'm going to put you in my car. So, the, you know, they were basically shouting after him, we're not going to save you, we're not going to save you, and they have the whole transcript here, so... Here's some more of what he was saying. So, like they said, Officer 1, Okay, I'm not jumping in after you. Victim, please help me. Please, please, please. Officer 2, I don't think they can get blank, inaudible, the pedestrian bridge. Victim, I can't touch. Oh, God, please help me. Help me. Sir, you need to listen to me. Hey, listen to me. Swim to the pylon. I can't. I can't. Witness, inaudible. Victim, can you hear me? Witness, stop. Inaudible, get off me. He didn't do anything wrong, babe. Officer 1, we didn't say you did anything wrong. Officer 2, get off the bridge. Witness, inaudible. Officer 1, you need to chill out. Witness, I love him. I love him. Please stop being so aggressive. Officer 2, stop. Witness, oh my god, is he okay? Stop, why are you doing this? I'm trying to help my fucking... Please don't... Inaudible. Dude, what the fuck? You're the one that was aggressive with me when you arrested me last time. I know it. Officer 1, hey, stop. If you want to help your husband, then talk to your husband into coming over. I mean, it just goes on. I, they're idiots. The witness, babe, babe, he's drowning. He's drowning. If you don't come over here now, if you don't calm down, I'm going to put you in my car. I tried to. Stop it. I tried to, but I love this man very much. Then talk to him. Stop yelling at us. 
there's a part where the office, basically throughout the whole thing, the officers are scolding her, scolding her for trying to help, not helping, um, not helping well enough. Yeah, it's just the most, I can't believe that. The album's called Cherry Pie. The record's called Cherry Pie. I'm doing Cherry Pie eating contests. The single's Cherry Pie, right? And my legacy's Cherry Pie. Everything about me is Cherry Pie. I'm a Cherry Pie guy. I could shoot myself in the head for writing that song. And, um, but let's get into, uh, the more heftier stories, okay? You know, I want to flesh out a bigger idea of what I think of as, like, political nomadism. Because people still impose characteristics which you know are usually bad but sometimes good they impose these usually bad characteristics on political entities that may have historically been nomadic and the reason i'm saying this is because this has definitely been true in terms of the u.s's reporting on the russia invasion of ukraine I've there were literally pundits calling them like Asiatic and being like the Russian horde and that is very much the language of like dehumanizing nomads and not to say that Russia's in the right in the war in Ukraine not at all but um it, the way it's being opposed is very rooted in xenophobia and it's best not to engage in that type of opposition to the Russia invasion of Ukraine because you're basically just like exercising racism like you're you're not opposing it for its character you're opposing it because of the big evil barbarian horde coming to steal our lands and steal our wives that type of thing and the reason I'm saying this, though, is because I recently learned a little more about some of the foundational ideas of Ukrainian Nazism and far-right ideology. And basically, think about it like this. The, the Ukrainian Nazis see Ukraine as being a very old civilization. And this is kind of contradictory to the reality that Ukraine as a political entity didn't really exist until later on in history. Like, it was historically a land dominated and occupied by a huge range of people through history. Like, Scythians to... Austria-Hungary, Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, Russians, obviously. But the Ukrainian far-right will basically, like, they conceive of themselves as they were the, like, established non-nomadic people who had been there for a super long time, who were constantly under siege from nomads. All these uncivilized barbarian nomads kept occupying their lands or whatever. And, like, I might not have all the details exactly right, but you get the idea. This is the kind of foundational idea in a lot of European reactionaryism. Like, this kind of anti-nomadic, horde invaders, kind of irredentist um, appeal to ancient, classical, or, or feudal history. And 
So, but to this part might surprise you to kind of tie it up. The Ukrainian far right is into propagating this idea of like a Asiatic nomadic horde that they're defending against. And to them, the Asiatic nomadic horde includes Russians, but it is also... The Jews! Shocker, right? And ultimately, that's just like scratching the surface about how nomadism as an actual way of life has virtually gone extinct. Like, there are still itinerant people and there are still nomadic people, but the, the spirit of the idea lives much longer and deeper through this sort of like collective conscious, uh, more like cultural signifiers, the, these these traces and marks left from history of what a nomad is. And it, politically speaking, it, it's a more um, rich idea than just its simple definition. So I, I kind of want to look more into that more. Maybe I'll, I'll write something up about it, kind of fleshing out my thoughts. And for this next segment, we're going to talk a little bit about the CIA. And more specifically, the CIA's ties to cryptocurrency. And more specifically, the fact that the CIA has multiple cryptocurrency projects and that they also know the identity of the creator of Bitcoin, Satoshi Nakamoto. They know who it is, but I'm going to get a little more into their disclosure and all of that. And like I said, there's a lot more you could talk about with the CIA and cryptocurrency. This is just a small corner of it. Um, so here's an article from June 16th, 2018. It is from the medium blog of a man named Vidra Marco, V I D R I H M A R K O. The headline Bitcoin inventor Satoshi Nakamoto unmasked by CIA and NSA? Question mark. Quote. As Motherboard reports, the CIA has responded to a request for Internet Informational Law FOIA for an employee of the portal. The report states that Daniel Oberhouse, a journalist at Motherboard, received an answer from the CIA in which the CIA can neither, quote, confirm nor deny knowing who Satoshi Nakamoto is. This type of answer is also referred to as the Glomar answer in the U.S., the CIA is famous for using this phrase to avoid publishing open investigation information. The conclusion of Oberhaus is therefore, quote, So if the government really knows who Nakamoto is, it's not too keen to share that information, end quote. And let me just take a quick side note um, from the article. The Glomar, an- like they call it the Glomar answer. I've heard it called the Glomar response. I want to explain where that name comes from because I feel like it gives some insight into what that means. Like, so the phrase had been used before, but um, 
in terms of it being called the Glomar response, and as something that the CIA says, uh, that kind of starts in 1975, when a journalist named Harriet Ann Filippi was going to publish an article for the LA Times about a CIA operation called Project Azorian. And Project Azorian was a covert CIA project to salvage a Soviet submarine off of the Pacific Ocean floor. They were trying to get the submarine with a ship called the Hughes Glomar Explorer. The Hughes Glomar Explorer was bankrolled and commissioned by CIA ally Howard Hughes. And Hughes gave the excuse that he was using the the cover story, I guess, the excuse cover story, that he was using the ship to dredge up manganese nodules. And, I mean, it is also worth pointing out that many people believe that Project Azorian was not actually to salvage a Soviet submarine, but that... That story itself was a cover story. And then consequently, the mining the manganese nodules uh, cover story from Howard Hughes was a cover story of the cover story. One thing people think they were doing was tapping Soviet communication lines that were underwater, which is something they would later do in the 80s. And we know about this because the information was leaked by a double agent to the Soviets, and he ended up going to prison for a long time for um, being a double agent. But... Whatever it was, the CIA was doing nothing, and, and you know, it, it really doesn't matter that much because parts of the submarine were salvaged, but even then, most of that part of the submarine was destroyed accidentally while they were, like, dredging it up, so... As far as we know, there wasn't that much to show for this investigation if it was truly looking for the submarine. And I mention all of this because the, quote, neither confirm nor deny is called the Glomar response because the CIA used that response to the story about Project Azorian. And I also just, you know, a lot of people draw parallels between Howard Hughes and Elon Musk. And I mean, Howard Hughes seemed more interesting, but I will say this whole being a CIA agent or representing parts of the state department or U S government, that is the most Elon Musk thing I've that's when I really thought, oh, this guy is actually like Elon Musk. I mean, I know he has a lot of other ties to weird stuff, like he was involved with like the Mormon Mafia or something like that. But anyway, anyway, continuing the article, quote, Blogger Alexander Muse claimed in 2016 that the NSA knew Nakamoto's true identity. Nakamoto made a mistake he found difficult to anticipate. The mysterious inventor of Bitcoin wrote thousands of posts and emails about Bitcoin, most of which are publicly available. According to Muse's blog, the NSA used stylometry in 2016 to expose the exposed the Bitcoin creator. The NSA was able to compare Satoshi's writings with trillions of writing samples from people around the world. 
Muse claims to continue to find out from his source that the reason for this effort is that the Obama administration was concerned that Satoshi was an agent of Russia or China. And that's the end of what I'm reading for that article. And I will say, um, I don't know if they truly thought that Satoshi Nakamoto was an agent of Russia or China, what I imagine is they want, if they didn't already know who this was, then they were, and they may have known from the beginning because some people truly believe Satoshi Nakamoto is just the CIA. But assuming they didn't know who this was, they probably wanted to find them and probably bribe them, blackmail them, and be like, you're gonna help us use cryptocurrency, basically. And also keep in mind, 2016 was really early on in Bitcoin's creation. Like, it's not like the NSA tracked him down when Bitcoin was valued at like $60,000 or whatever. They tracked him down like early, early on. Like, Bitcoin went live in 2014, as far as I know, and in 2016, it was worth probably at its most about 460 or so um, a Bitcoin. Right now, it's in the dumper, and it's evaluated at, like, at time of recording, about 30,000, and it's considered in the dumper. Like, a year ago... You could have sold Bitcoin for 66000 and Not a year ago, but like last year. Too bad for the people who didn't do that, though. Sad. Who are you? I'm what's left. Or maybe I'm all there ever was. I meant your name. This next article, this is newer. This is from December 7th, 2021, and it's from Vice. Is that why you're paying a billion dollars for a gay little website? Headline, the CIA is deep into cryptocurrency, director reveals, quote, There's a long-running conspiracy theory among a small number of cryptocurrency enthusiasts that Bitcoin's anonymous inventor Satoshi Nakamoto was actually the CIA or another three-lettered agency. That fringe theories having a fresh day in the sun after CIA director William Burns said, quote, my predecessor had started this, but had set in motion a number of different projects focused on cryptocurrency and trying to look at second and third order consequences, as well as helping with our colleagues in other parts of the U.S. government to provide solid intelligence on what we're seeing as well. He also said that cryptocurrencies, quote, could have enormous impact on everything from ransomware attacks, as you mentioned, because one of the ways of getting at ransomware attacks and deterring them is to be able to get at the financial networks that so many of those criminal networks use and they get right at the issue of digital currencies as well. So, I mean, his statement, the way he worded it is kind of weird. It seemed like he was kind of floundering because I was reading it directly as Vice has it, and there's a lot of kind of strange verbiage in it anyway, though. It is really interesting, the specific wording, though. My predecessor had started this. 
Like, I think he's saying his predecessor started with CIA being deep in cryptocurrency and all these, like, things they're doing with it. But it's hard not to read that as just, like, my predecessor started cryptocurrency. Like, that's kind of what it sounds like to me if you read it on the face value and don't read it through, like, a lens of, like, espionage talk. And while I was researching this, I found another article, and I'm just bringing this up because I'm like, oh my god, this is so stupid. This is also from about 2018, and it was also reporting on the same story about, um... about Motherboard basically confirming that the CIA knows who Satoshi Nakamoto is. So this is talking about the same thing, but they included a detail in this story. I'm just like, what the fuck, man? Okay, so this is from Bitcoinist in 2018. They have a segment in this article, quote, in another development, members of the Satoshi Nakamoto Republic, a group of cryptocurrency enthusiasts in Ukraine plan to erect a statue of Nakamoto in Kiev. The proposed statue will replace the now-toppled statue of Lenin on Shevchenko Boulevard, according to Andrew Moroz, a co-founder of the group. He said, quote, We are engaged in the construction of monuments to the great man who for everyone is a new symbol of freedom. In homage to the Bitcoin creator, the group plans to create a digital statue. They plan to install a plinth on the site of where the linen statue once stood when viewed with a smartphone app an image of nakamoto will appear on the plinth and i i don't actually know if this ended up being built but i mean talk about culture being informed by the economy man ukraine has been totally stripped clean of resources totally in de-industrialized i mean there aren't a lot of resources in ukraine mostly farmland but totally privatized the whole country just wrecked like it's turned into the most extreme version of the most de-industrial parts of the midwest just totally subsumed as a peasant nation in the global neoliberal economy and What does a once proud socialist country do when the revolution fails and it becomes crushed by global capital? They tear down the statue of a heroic historical figure who changed the world forever and replace it with a statue of someone who may just be the CIA who created weird internet funny money that isn't even practical that's what happens pretty bleak right folks i got a bad feeling about this did i mention yet this episode that we're living in a dying empire and that empire is global anyway um i'm really this is just scratching the surface of cia and intelligence ties to cryptocurrency it goes a lot deeper than this But this is the extent I will talk about it today. And uh, I do want to highlight that there is a connection between the CIA and the deep web. 
and this is fairly well known at this point like and so i don't know how it works technically so bear with me but basically the deep web was invented by the cia to have this like covert communication network but the issue is if anyone gained access to the deep web they could find the cia communication relatively easily so again i don't understand the tech technicalities but that's the common person's explanation i've had given to me so instead of having this like network that's pretty covert but still vulnerable they did like this hiding in plain sight idea where they wanted as many people to use the deep web as possible so they could both be monitored but also because cia communication would be like obscured in in the process obscured in the in the mess of post and weird crap (laughs) Hello, my, my name is Dimitri Naskayas and welcome to the channel White Russian Show. This channel called White Russian Show because where I'm from, the country called Belarus and the second name for this is White Russia. Uh, this video is devoted for this interesting idea that Bitcoin was created by the government. Government started seizing Bitcoins from the criminals. Long time ago, uh, the biggest uh, drug money were seized by US government from the Bitcoin wallets dark web forum where you can buy drugs, guns, and other illegal stuff. But at the same time, everybody in the United States, in order to use Bitcoin, need to attach to the Coinbase, for example, your real bank account, show your ID, your social security number, your address, your phone number, your name. Nobody knows who created Bitcoin. Usually a brilliant piece of software is patented by somebody or somebody said that I did that. Nobody knows who created Bitcoin till this day. This is my thinking about this topic and uh, I would like to hear in comments to this video what do you think about it. Do you agree that the government created Bitcoin? Please subscribe. I'm promising you to provide very interesting content about cybercrime, about business, about legal news. And now I'm going to close out this episode with a little segment. Hello and welcome to State of the State. The State of the State. State of the State. Now this episode of the State of the State, I will be talking about the idea of unskilled labor. There's a recurring claim from the online left and left-wing people in general, that when some media institution like Bloomberg or CNBC talks about quote-unquote unskilled labor, the left will reply that there is no such thing as unskilled labor. So I just want to establish, like, for one thing, I will say I agree that there is no such thing as unskilled labor It is a cultural and historical construct, but it still exists, and I'm going to talk about how and why it exists. But when when lefties say there's no such thing as unskilled labor, they're saying basically, like, it's way harder to work at McDonald's than to work at 
name your place, corporate Amazon or something. And that is true. But what they don't realize is that capitalism's goal is to make jobs as unskilled as possible. They reduce the entire production process to individualized job duties, and then they have people specialize in these individualized duties, um, so they're really doing as little as possible in, in the process of production. And so in that way, like... You shouldn't poo-poo the idea of unskilled labor because, on the one hand, that is something that the capitalist class is always trying to create, and it is a mechanism that alienates us from our co-workers. But that's not the element of unskilled labor I'm going to focus on in this episode. I'm going to focus on how it is actually chosen what we characterize as unskilled labor. Ultimately, I subscribe to Marx's understanding of unskilled labor, and I touched on it already, but basically he believed that what is labeled unskilled labor is culturally and historically specific. And not only that, but it is based on trends and whims of the historical moment. Like, there is no such thing as skilled and unskilled labor inherently. It is a label imposed on the workforce to help carve up workers into these artificial subclasses. So let me quote from Marx directly. This is from his book, A Contribution to the Critique of Political Economy, which came out in 1859. Quote, It is simple labor... English economists call it unskilled labor, which any average individual can be trained to do and which in one way or another he has to perform. The characteristics of this average labor are different in different countries in different historical epochs, but in any particular society it appears as something given. So Marx pointed out that what is considered skilled and unskilled labor is in flux, and not only that, it, it varies from country to country. One example I can think of is back in feudal times, farmers were usually seen as the least skilled laborers. Most laborers by and large, were peasants who worked on farms, and that was seen as unskilled. Nowadays, we probably wouldn't say that a farmer is skilled labor per se, but it definitely wouldn't be considered unskilled either. It requires a lot of technical know-how, biological know-how. You have to be experienced with a lot of equipment. It is generally thought of as a much more noble profession than it was seen as in feudal times, where you were just like the lowest of the low. Um, but I want to use some examples from contemporary times as well, because... This is based on my subjective observations, but I generally think it's true. I wasn't alive in the 70s, but it seems more true. So, in the 70s, physical labor was seen as a lot more unskilled than it is seen today. And 
even some trade jobs like say plumbing like that was much more of a butt of a joke because it was seen as is less skilled than it's seen today and obviously plumbing takes skills training knowledge but manual labor in general was seen as less skilled back then and the same is true for manufacturing i mean a lot of manufacturing is physical labor um, and based on my looking into it, it seems like at the same time, service industry jobs were seen as more skilled then than they are now. Like, I don't want to oversimplify. And if you don't agree, I mean, um, but, but like, I'll, I'll give my reasoning. Now you see service jobs as like something that a high schooler works. You, you're a cashier if you're just the dumbest person if you're still in high school if you're disabled in some way back then it wasn't as marginalized as that and you know also back then you could be a hostess or a cook at a fancy restaurant and that would be seen as a pretty respectable job right nowadays like if you're like a line cook in the fanciest restaurant in town, you're probably not making that much more than Joe line cook at like a cafeteria. Uh, I, I might be wrong and you would probably be getting more in tips if they split the tips with the cooks, but still it, the whole field is seen as generally more unskilled. Whereas before, you know, you'd probably see fast food workers as unskilled, but like, you can make a career out of being a hostess at a fancy restaurant if you wanted. Um, and, you know, my diagnosis of it makes sense. Like, that f physical labor was being seen as less skilled then, and service industry was seen as more skilled then, because it corresponds with the trends of neoliberalism. Like, as neoliberalism took hold, service industry jobs proliferated in popularity, and manufacturing and physical labor was being outsourced. And now think about, like, to kind of change, pivot a little bit, think about modern, modern day. Think about how a Republican talking point for the past 10 years or so has basically been, you know, well, you shouldn't have gone to college. You should have gone to trade school. And with this talking point, we can see how the definition of skilled and unskilled are being kind of manipulated and morphed right in front of our eyes. The public realizes and acknowledges that the benefits of college are much smaller now than they used to be. This perception has changed. Like, a lot of jobs require a college degree, but that doesn't even necess necessarily mean they're good jobs. And people get put into crippling debt from college. So, the payoff of going to college is a lot less than it seemed like it was, or that it actually was, um, a generation or two back. 
So the way that the capitalist class rectifies this tension is basically by shaming people for going to college in the first place, saying, oh, all along you should have actually been doing something else, even though, no, that's not what people have been telling kids as they grow up. They, everyone was getting, you need to go to college, and then as soon as you graduate college, I'm speaking for myself, because this is true, more true for me than... Um, and people my age than maybe other generations, but like, for example, maybe parents nowadays tell their kids, go to trade school, please don't go to college. But when I was growing up, everyone's parents, you got to go to college. And then as soon as I'm graduating college, you're an idiot for going to college. That's literally how it went. (laughs) And I mean, in general, I feel like office pencil pushers were seen as more skilled, like, from, like, the 50s, maybe 40s through the 80s at least, than they are seen in 2020. And, like, of course, the richest people tend to be office workers in some capacity, but, I mean, people like receptionists, administrative administrative assistants, office assistants... Um, those types of jobs don't really pay well and they aren't respected. Like those are seen as like, yeah, maybe you could do that for a year after college. But if you're doing that after that, like what the fuck is wrong with you? Like that type of mentality. Whereas before, you know, you gained at least some respect and you would have an air of skilled labor about you if you worked in an office environment. And so, to close out, I I have another Marx quote here, and this will close both the segment and the episode. So, this is a quote from Marx, Capital, Volume 1, Part 3, Section 1, Footnote 18, quote, The distinction between skilled and unskilled labor rests in part on pure illusion, or to say the least, on distinctions that have long ceased to be real, and that survival only by virtue of a traditional convention. So I'll I'll interrupt that because I think the cadence of how I was reading it might have made it confusing. Basically, he's saying the distinction between skilled and unskilled labor is based on illusion, but it is also based on things that are no longer true or um, are only true because of convention. The the delineation between skilled and unskilled labor continues whether the conditions that cause that delineation exist or not he continues quote accidental circumstances here play so great a part that these two forms of labor sometimes change places where for instance the physique of the working class has deteriorated and is relatively speaking exhausted which is the case in all countries with a well-developed capitalist production the lower forms of labor which demand great expenditure of muscle are in general considered as skilled compared with much more delicate forms of labor the latter sink down to the level of unskilled labor. And then we must not forget that the so-called skilled labor does not occupy a large space in the field of national 
labor. So in other words, what he's saying is that at the point he's writing this, capitalism has developed to an extent in Europe that now there's too many like bureaucrats and people doing quote unquote delicate labor, too many people who aren't physically toiling um, in the most like classic sense of the word. And because of that, physical labor was starting to be seen more as skilled labor during Marx's time. There was a shortage. And then he says that the so-called skilled labor does not occupy a large space in the field of national labor. In other words, there will always be a scarcity to skilled labor. Skilled labor will always be the type of labor that's harder to penetrate, whether or not it's because you actually need skills to do it, or if because that's just how they're classifying it, because it does have a restrictive element in terms of getting access to that type of labor. And with that, that has been the state of the state, state of the state, state of the state, and this has been the society show. Thank you for listening. My name is Christian. You can follow me on Twitter at Christian is cool. Christian I-Z cool is spelled I-Z. You can follow the show on Twitter at society underscore show. You can go to the website at societyshow.net. And uh, with that, thank you for listening to the society show I wanted to make this video, first of all, because I think there's a lot of people that have a distorted perception of what I do, maybe based on sound bites or based on headlines of articles that are disparaging. Um, The podcast has been accused of spreading dangerous misinformation, specifically about two episodes. I do not know if they're right. I don't know because I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I'm just a person who sits down and talks to people and has conversations with them. Do I get things wrong? Absolutely. I get things wrong, but I try to correct them. Whenever I get something wrong, I try to correct it because I'm interested in telling the truth. I'm interested in finding out what the truth is. And I'm interested in having interesting conversations with people that have differing opinions. No, uh, No hard feelings towards Neil Young and definitely no hard feelings towards Joni Mitchell. I love her too. I love her music. Chucky's in Love is a great song. Uh, I don't know what else I can do uh, differently other than maybe try harder to get people with uh, differing opinions on right afterwards i do think that that's important and uh and do my best to make sure that i've researched these topics the, the controversial ones in particular and have all the pertinent facts at hand before i discuss them again i'm not trying to promote misinformation i'm not trying to be controversial I've I've never tried to do anything with this podcast other than just talk to people and have interesting conversations.